Hey folks, welcome back to the next part of today's episode or installment of the Sports Red Podcast right here on Heat 100 Radio. Uh, apologies for the technical difficulties, but I am back. I'm here. So get on over to Facebook, folks. Sports Rap Podcast is the group page. What's up, Lee? What's going on, Cuzzo? Thanks for tuning in. Uh, so I left you off, and I was giving you a, a heads up, and I said I was going to get to the Brittany Griner situation. And that's where I'm going to go now. But I want to just give you a little background of the story. Uh, maybe... Two weeks ago, um, we got word uh, worldwide, news-wise, of the issues uh, of Russia and Ukraine and how Russia and Putin have launched an attack on the Ukraine. There was a big issue with people trying to get out that couldn't get out. Then there was the, if you will, racial uh, tones there where the Africans or African-Americans that were there were pushed away. And some of the Ukraine people were allowed to get out. There had also been an issue with athletes, um, American athletes, who were actually playing in the Ukraine um, over there that were trying to get home. Uh, so then we move into the situation of how the war there affected sports. And I talked a little bit about that um, when it happened a couple weeks ago. So now just recently and possibly over the weekend, there was a story out that the Russian police or the Russian government had reported that they had detained an uh, American athlete. Turns out later that they reported that that athlete was Brittany Griner, a WNBA player center for the Phoenix Mercury, two-time champion, um, and all of that stuff. Uh, like I mentioned last week when I talked about the funding, and I'm going to talk about another aspect of their funding in just a minute that a lot of these women, because of their, in my opinion, improper salaries, uh, tend to go overseas in the winter and play, where they technically do not have an off-season or much of an off-season. And Brittany Griner is one of those particular players. She goes and she plays in Russia. She's played in Russia, I think, for the past four or five years now. And her actual salary in Russia um, is $1 million, which is more than, they say it's a roughly quadruple the WNBA's league maximum of about 228000 So you understand the point and why she would go over there and um, play and get that million dollars. And ironically, it says the max contract um, is 228000 So Brittany Griner, being who she is, being the player that she is, is definitely at that mark or very, very close to that particular mark so the incident comes um allegedly it's illegal there to have the marijuana or hashish and whatever so apparently in her carry-on bag they had uh they had uh narcotic sniffing dogs in the airport they searched her bag and they found some capsules and vape pens containing hashish oil she was detained and has been there since uh, reports from the WNBA that they have spoken to her or she has spoken to some people here um, that they are aware of the situation, the legal representation in Russia and her family teams in WNBA have support, have her, are in support of her. Um, they are letting them deal with this ongoing legal matter and they are in hopes that uh, she can get out of that situation in some type of way, and, and more importantly, make it back to the United States. Um, again, she's played for this team in Russia, um, led them to three domestic titles, uh, EuroLeague Women's Championships in 2016, 18, 19, and most recently last year in 2021. And also, like I mentioned to you in the state here, nearly 90% of the WNBA's 144 rostered players have spent time overseas during this offseason. Earnings from their foreign clubs often dwarf what they make in the United States. And that's where I mentioned Brittany's salaries, uh, salary over there, the $1 million per year. They say, again, quote, roughly quadruples the WNBA's maximum of about 228000 And like I said, the caliber of player and the player that Brittany uh, Griner is, she is definitely either at that level, very close, or very close. 
So, you know, again, like I brought that article to you two weeks ago, how it has affected sports. We've seen how it has affected sports. Um, with the WNBA in training camp right now, preparing for their season. Um, now the Phoenix Mercury for temporarily right now or will be without one of their key players uh, going into the season. So I will definitely um, stay in tune with that story and see how that plays out and get you all the news that I can for you um, and bring it to you either way live here or uh, on social media like I always do. So getting back to, once again, the WNBA funding issues. I mentioned to you last week that there was an issue where the WNBA considered terminating the New York Liberty. Well, that came about because the owners of the New York Liberty chartered flights for their team. Uh, let's see. Let me get my notes together. Okay. Um, yeah, it says um, that New York owners Joe and Clara Wu sigh. They purchased charter flights both during a Labor Day weekend to Napa and the second half of the 2021 season. The league's current collective bargaining agreement doesn't allow for such travel accommodations, saying that it is considered an unfair competitive advantage. Okay, let's stay there for a second before we move further. Chartered flight, an unfair competitive advantage. Didn't re doesn't really go into detail um, of what they exactly mean by an unfair competitive advantage. So there are a couple of avenues, probably more than a couple avenues, where you could go in reading between the lines and, and taking a stab at what they could possibly truly mean. Um, for in my opinion, I don't see where a team that takes a charter flight would have an unfair competitive advantage. Um, they still have to fly. Um, they still have to get on the plane. And a lot of time for these athletes, if it's not a charter plane, they're a little cramped. So I get that point. Maybe let me retract a little bit. I see that point that could be made with the comfortability of the flight. But on the grand scheme of things, goes back to what I said last week, where I feel like these ladies need to be treated a lot better. Again, the W the NBA needs to help, needs to support these this league. This is this is their sister league, their little sister. So they have to figure out a way to help these ladies out. Um again, I don't see anything wrong with the owners chartering a flight after in the past we've heard about living conditions and traveling conditions so they want to do the best for their team which i have no issues with uh the wnba commissioner has says that she has tried um to get people to help to help fund but she also goes in to say and i quote it would be more than 20 mil a year to fund charter flights for an entire nba season end quote she also goes on to say and i quote we're not going to jeopardize the financial health of the league and be irresponsible. If we can get it funded by sponsors and supporters, great. But that's not where we are. We do not have that. So in this article, she also said that um, she attempts to get people to, here it is. Uh, it said if she could get funded, get, get, if we could get sponsored or funded in some way, I'm all ears. I've gotten lots of calls over the past year about this about this since we've been back in our 12 markets. She says, end quote, and then she goes on and saying, closing out, uh, and I quote, then when people price it out and they see it's 20 million plus, you never hear from them again, end quote. So I don't see where the issue is if the owners want to foot that bill. Then in my belief or my understanding, it may not be coming from the league's funding. It's the owner's funding. I might have to look into that and see how that could work out for them. But that could be a thought. You know, um, the owners 
that want to do it, let them do it. Doesn't come out of your pocket, the WNBA, and you won't have the issues that you have when you have outspoken uh, employees like Liz Cambos, who I talked about two weeks ago, who is very, very serious about her speaking out, very, very serious about the conditions and the treatment of these WNBA, her fellow WNBA athletes and, and herself. And she always makes a stand about things of that nature. Uh, Skylar Diggins has also spoken out about it. So there are athletes that are speaking out that want change. But again, they have to get the help. And I understand that. This is why I continually say the NBA being the big brother, being the conglomerate that they are, should be able to help in some type of way. Even if it starts with teams in the WNBA that have an NBA team can help out with that flight. Maybe they can use their planes because or get into a charter with them um, and use some of the time that they have for charters. Because as the WNBA season is starting, the NBA season is coming to an end. So maybe that can help there where once that NBA season starts to dwindle down, they can help out with some flights or help out with some fees or just help out with some fundings or better yet, small thing, help out with some marketing where they can coop some, where they, where they can recoup some fees to help in their funding. Um, it, it, I think one of the biggest things, like I mentioned, I feel like the biggest thing with the WNBA right now is their marketing. It is not the best. We see how all the other major sports are marketed. You see how their big brother, the NBA, is marketed on a whole. And there are some small market cities in the NBA. But overall, we see how the entire NBA, as that conglomerate that it is, is marketed. They need to help their little sister out and get some marketing done for them as well. And it's going to take some work but it needs to start somewhere the conversation the dialogue has to be had um in order for anything to get done anything to get accomplished um maybe the WNBA can line out what their fees are again and the W and the NBA can just chime in and say look we can help this much but then we have to figure out and, or come together after that point and figure out how we can market, how we can get them back um, into recouping some funds. So that is that for that issue. Now, for all my basketball fans, um, and I'm talking all of my guys that were fans from like what I would say good basketball, 80s, 70s, 80s, and I'm not discrediting any basketball today but basketball that we grew up on 80s early 90s where there was a rule called the hand checking rule which is completely gone now and a lot more times than not in today's game we talk about the game we talk about the players and we talk about how soft the league is we talk about how the league has progressed into a scoring three-point shooting league. We talk about different individual players. Um, there's always going to be comparisons about who's the GOAT and could this player play in this era? Could this player play in that era? We've talked about that on the show, and we gave everybody a stern uh, point from us and said that, you can't really compare the eras or individual players from an era and how would they fit in another era because they're so different. But then again, I mean, you know, for all intents and purposes, as fans, we can sit around at the game, have a couple beers and talking to our buddies and whatever. And we can talk about how we feel like this is soft and this is what bad. Well, if this dude was in this era, if he played with these guys and he wouldn't be this, or if this guy from this old era played now, he would definitely be leading the league and scoring and all the avenues that we travel in that whole situation, that whole dialogue. 
But, again, I saw something and I pulled it, read through it real quick. And I just want to talk about it a little bit. And if anybody's there, Robert, Kenny, you can come back in. Uh, Mike Anderson, if you're there. My guy, Narvis, if you're around. Cuz old Bradley Day. Anybody that's familiar with the eras that I'm talking about. 80s, 90s, early 2000s. And the article is actually titled, How Removing the Handcheck Rule Changed the NBA Forever. So if you don't know, back in the early days of the NBA, the game was more physical because of the handcheck rule. You have you hear several legends like Kevin Garnett and Shaquille O'Neal talk about how the league was so much tougher back in the day. And ironically, they probably have a point. So, start off with this article. It's broken down into one, uh, two sections. Um, the less contact and the immediate effect. So, again, there are several key reasons why the NBA, like we say, is viewed as soft today. And one of the biggest ones is when the league chose to abolish the handcheck rule for good in 2004. So that's eight and four is 12. That's like 18 years ago. Almost two decades ago. Okay. In case you didn't know, and this is what was the makeup of the handcheck rule. The handcheck rule was part of the NBA officiating in the 90s and late 2000s. Where it goes back a little further than that, though. But where defenders were permitted to put both their hands or forearms into an offensive player's chest or hips to prevent their path to the basket. It was the defender's biggest strength against a ball handler. It also made it easier to discourage perimeter players from getting to the rim because physical contact was allowed on defense. So, all of us know that the game was a lot more physical in those eras that they chose, the 90s and the 2000s. So we'll stay there. We know what happened in the 90s. We had that great run of the Bulls, winning six championships, winning the two three-peats in that. Prior to that, for Michael Jordan, when they came up with the Michael Jordan rules later on, how he would get beat up by Boston Celtics, even more so the Knicks and the Detroit Pistons. I'll put the Detroit. If I had to order those three teams, put them in order in a way where I thought they were the most roughest on Mike, I would have to go Pistons one, Knicks two, Celtics three. Yeah, that, that's where I would go. I would stay there. If anybody doesn't agree, if anybody agrees with me or disagrees with me, Sports Web Podcast is the group right here on Facebook. So chime in um, if you agree or disagree and let me know. So this rule allowed you to basically guide the offensive player away from the rim. The physical nature, like I mentioned, deterred some players from driving to the basket because they know they would get knocked on there. You know what? They would stay on the perimeter. You could change the course of a player um, in his dribbling motion, his drive to the basket. You can bother people in the post with this hand check rule where you could lean on people, push them off the box, turn post players into mid-range jump shooters, turn players that play with their back to the basket to oftentimes becoming face-up players. Okay. Now, today's NBA, you can only use one forearm, I believe. Um, and you basically can't touch anyone in the NBA today. A lot of times you watch games and it may look like someone got touched and it's a foul. There is... A lot of talk from older players who are 
in disagreement with the way the game is called now. They feel that the game should be called more guided by the actual rule book of the NBA from when it all began. So yes, we do know the 90s and 2000s were more physical and rougher than today's NBA. And like I said, today's NBA, you can barely touch people um, and a foul is called. Um, moving further, the handshake rule also prevented these, these perimeter players and ball handlers from going to the free throw line. The rule was more popular more popular than ever, like I said, during the 90s Chicago Bulls regime when Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen dominated the perimeter. The league removed the rule when Jordan retired because of the lack of perimeter production when the legend took off in 2004. So, they disbanded the rule because the two dominant players well, one of the most dominant players on the perimeter was gone. And there was a lack of perimeter production. So they changed the rule. Okay, here we go again. Since the handshake rule was removed, the offense started benefiting for obvious reasons. The NBA wanted the same production Jordan provided in the perimeter that they hoped removing the handshaking rule would do just that. True enough, perimeter-dominant players like Steve Nash, Kobe Bryant, Tracy McGrady, Allen Iverson, etc. were were able to take over the league. So, that was that. Then there was what they say was the immediate effect. As soon as the hand check rule was removed, average scoring in the NBA jumped up four points from like 93 to 97 points per game. MVPs were won by combo guards like Nash, who won it twice, Kobe Bryant, LeBron James, James Harden, and even, I mean, sorry, James Harden and LeBron James. Lethal scorers who do their damage best by either driving to the hoop or shooting mid-range and three-pointed jumpers. Prior to the rule, it was big men like Kevin Garnett, Tim Duncan, who won the MVP mostly because of their defense. The end of the hand check rule is one of the it, it is one of if not the biggest reasons why the NBA is an offensive league today, and I totally agree with that. It's the reason why a lot of Hall of Famers say that defense is a lost art in this era. This is what I just mentioned to you, um, and a lot of the older guys are agree are in agreement with that. Um, the significant change has led to an increase in scoring, specifically now the three point production. It's the reason why better offense will always beat better defense in today's game. Which is crazy because we all know the sports moniker, defense wins championships. But you can stop me, and since it's a three-point league, and they're calling a lot of times today's game positionless basketball, where everybody shoots the three, you can play some tough D, but I'm going to keep shooting these threes and get this extra point. As opposed to a two-pointer, I'm going to shoot this three-pointer, like I said, and get an extra point. And I'm just going to outscore you. You stop me here and there. But every time you stop me on a two-point bucket, I'm going to come back and get a three-point bucket. So I'm getting those points back um, at an alarming rate, if you will. So I am definitely in agreement with that article when it says that the hand check rule, removing the hand check rule has changed the game. Um, again, I understand where the NBA was business-wise, where you lost Michael Jordan. The scoring was down. The game was a lot more slowed down. It wasn't as exciting then. So you had to find a way to pick it back up. So you removed that rule and you made it somewhat of an open forum where guys were able to be a lot more freer on the perimeter and do some of the things or a lot of things that they did on the perimeter. And it changed the game. Like I said, I often talk about it sometimes, too, and I'm like, oh, this game is, like, too soft. Um, and that's just me remembering what I saw in the 90s and 2000s, what I was brought up on, where I grew and where I began to love 
the game of basketball because of the physical nature where you had to earn your buckets. It wasn't just, I'm going to stand and shoot this three-pointer, or if you start to dribble, now I got to back up and I can't touch you. So I'm you're free to go whatever way you want to go, and I just got to hope you miss or hope that I got some help or hope that I play good enough defense to bother you to make that shot tougher. So I get it. I understand it. And, you know, that's what it is, you know. Um, it's not going to come back. So there was anybody thinking that it might come back. It's not. Um, the league scoring is up now. So this is what the league wanted. Um, the increase in the scoring makes the game, I guess, more exciting. Uh, like we saw the All-Star game this year where they changed that format to kind of like the Elam ending in the basketball tournament. And we saw what happened there. Teams were shooting the threes at a crazy rate to get to that number. So it's what they wanted for the NBA. It's what they want the NBA to be currently. So that's where they are uh, right now. So I want to get into now, uh, talk a little bit about the Sixers. Uh, the James Harden era has begun, as we know. It's been good so far. Um, there's one loss. He didn't play in the game Friday against the Heat or Saturday against the Miami Heat, which was a struggle, struggle from the very beginning. Um, the Heat showed you that they didn't have much confidence. They weren't too concerned with the others since James Harden was not playing. So you saw times when Joel Embiid was triple teamed. And mind you, this was the back end of a back-to-back. And I'm not making excuses by saying it was the back end of a back-to-back because this was one of the games after the post-trade where I felt like this would be our first test. Unfortunately, we didn't have James Harden. So I'm going to stay away from uh, actually going in-depth and evaluating how the test was because... I don't feel like I can gauge it as far as post-trade when James Harden doesn't play. So there will be another game against the Miami Heat, and he'll play in that game. So we'll see then again. But that game, in my opinion, um, you can call it kind of a throwaway game. There were, and again, folks, I have on my Sixers shirt, so I'm a fan. I'm not making excuses I'm just telling you what I saw. There were some missed calls in that game. There were some ghost fouls, I believe, called in that game. So as we like to say, there was some home cooking in Miami. Hopefully when they come to Philly, we'll get some Philly barbecue because it'll be starting to get warm when they come. So we'll get some Philly barbecue and we'll get some home cooking here. Uh, hopefully James Harden will remember that game and he'll have something to prove, something to show in that game. Me being me and the basketball fan that I am, I also will want to see them at their full complement. They didn't have Kyle Lowry, so I would love for him to play in that game. So it will be full complement on full complement, number one seed, number two seed, if they're still at that level when that game comes up. And let's strap them up. Get on the hardwood and get at it and see what happens. But you could tell there was some exhaustion going on with Joel. Tyrese Maxey did play well. And I mean, Joel, I mean, still had 21, still had a double-double. But the majority of those points were from the free throw line. Very, very bad shooting night from the floor. Uh... Tyrese did what he could. George Niang came in and tried to help. There are definitely guys on that roster um, in that game that did not show up. And listen, you went up against a team with one player that knows a lot of the guys on the Sixers team. You went up against a really, really good coach in Eric Spolstrom. Um, so, of course, they were prepared. They did their film work. They did their homework. And like I said, there were moments when they triple-teamed Joel Embiid, daring the other players to 
make plays. Furkan Korkmaz hasn't gotten it done in about the last week or two. We know what Thibel is, and people have to understand Thibel is going to be best served when he plays with James Harden. Um, finally, getting to the third piece, Tobias Harris. I, I mentioned that I felt like he was in his rightful place now as the third, possibly fourth option. And right now with the way that those three played, and I'm talking about Maxi Harden and Embiid in the first four games that they played together, those are starting to look like our big three. And Tobias Harris is becoming the fourth option. He has to understand that. He has to realize that when James Harden doesn't play or when he's on the court with that second unit, those are where he's going to get his buckets. Those minutes with the second unit, he's going to be arguably the primary scorer. And he has to adjust. A lot of people are going back and forth and saying, well, he needs to adjust, but he's not really a spot-up shooter. It's called being a professional athlete. It's called honing your craft. It's called working on your craft. It's called adjusting to your teammates. The object of the game is to win. So you have to get the puzzles in the right, get the pieces of the puzzle in the right place in order to complete the puzzle. So there may come times when you're going to have to adjust. I have seen the coaching staff talk to Tobias. I've seen James Harden talk to Tobias. And that's one of the one of the things that I mentioned um, when I mentioned when we first got James Harden and how I thought Tobias Harris would fit. I mentioned that he has to get it in his head that that's where he's going to get his buckets. I said, and I also said that it's on Doc Rivers and the coaching staff to reassure him that that's where he's going to get his buckets. And from what I've seen in the last two games, it looks like the coaching staff is beginning or has done that in some type of way because I have seen them talking to Tobias. I've also seen James Harden talking to him. I've seen his teammates encouraging him in the flow of the game on the court. But he has to get it in his own mind that that's what needs to be done. That's where his points are going to come in. And until that happens, he's going to struggle. He's going to continue to struggle. Um, there's also been talk, and I brought this up a few weeks ago, like actually right behind, right shortly after the uh, James Harden trade, where there's rumors and speculation that in the offseason, uh, James Harden will not opt into his final year to take a lesser um salaried max contract the Sixers will try to trade Tobias Harris to free up that cap space because of that contract and possibly bring in another third another player that could actually be their third scorer and this is no discredit to Tyrese Maxey because Tyrese Maxey has emerged as a star in this league in just a short time I mean look at what he's done in one offseason coming back did a lot that Ben Simmons couldn't do in four years here. And I'm not going to talk about that too much. But we all see it. And you all know what I mean when I say it. And he's still learning. But he is more than what we expected. He is looking like a, a steal from his draft. A very good steal from his draft. And him playing with James Harden right now is only going to increase his learning curve. Playing with Joel was good, was great. But now you've got a guy like Harden and Joel, your learning curve is just going to go crazy because there's so much you can learn from both of them. And then on top of that, again, like I say, which is why I couldn't understand why Ben Simmons couldn't get it. Wait, let me not say that. I know why he couldn't get it because I read the scouting report and all that other stuff I knew. You have a championship point guard on your bench as an assistant coach. You have another solid point guard 
as your head coach and Doc Rivers and Sam Cassell. Which is, in my opinion, ideal for an up-and-coming point guard or an up-and-coming young point guard. And you see Tyrese Maxey has benefited in more ways than one from that tutelage and now bringing in James Harden. You see, he's being like a sponge. He's soaking it all up. The reason why he was untouchable in trade talks. You... There was no way, the way he's been playing, there was no way that you could trade Tyrese Maxey. No way. But getting back to Tobias Harris, you know, um, I like Tobias Harris as a player. Like I said, backtracking and going back to what I've said all along, when the situation played itself out or came about to begin to play itself out after Elton Brand made the trade for Jimmy Butler, then he made that second trade for... um, Tobias Harris and got them together there was some issues with one of them leaving and you had to keep one of them so they went with Tobias and I still think that he was overpaid but again I understood the reason why you had to keep one of them you couldn't let both of them get away so Tobias Harris has to get it in his mind where he's going to get his buckets he has to take that reassurance from his coaching staff from his teammates and get it together, and get grooving. It is uh, now 12 noon, lunchtime, in the city of Philadelphia, right here on Sports Wrap. I'm going to take my second break. When I come back, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about the Suns and some other stuff that I mentioned in the opening. You have been tuned in to Sports Wrap, right here on Heat 100 Radio. It's your boy, Sports Wrap D. See you on the other side in just a couple minutes. Welcome back to the final segment of today's show. And I want to talk about two issues that we seem to have been coming across um, within the last year or so, maybe a little bit more. Um, Before I get to that, though, the one score I missed earlier, number 24, Iowa, falls to number 20, Illinois, 74-72. Um, I'll give you uh, schedules for NBA and NHL before I close out today as well. Also, I just saw a report that is now allegedly going to happen somewhat. It's been reported that Ben Simmons will be with the team on the 10th and will be in the Wells Fargo Center reportedly not playing, but will be on the bench. So we will definitely see how that plays out. Uh, I wish I could get in that game, get in that building, and just feel the entire mood of that building and of that game um, that night. But if I don't get in, I will definitely, definitely be tuned in and watching to see how that mood is and what the feeling is, if I can get get a bead, if not being in the building. From the outside looking in, I'm sure I should be able to get a read on what the temperature in that building is. So I want to first get to this story that I mentioned um, in the uh, opening about the Phoenix Suns owner, Robert Sarver, who is scheduled to speak to investigators. Um, This is in regards to some front office stuff where there are allegations that or accusations um, against the team and this majority owner, Robert Sarver. Um, those included allegations of racism, misogyny, and racism and misogyny in a sometimes hostile and toxic workplace in Phoenix during service 17 year tenure. Wow. You know, um, there have been several employees and past employees who have stepped up um the lawyers say that they have asked about specific allegations in an espn report which is based on interviews with more than 70 current and former employees Uh, these employees have confirmed a range of published allegations while introducing others sources said and have provided the investigators with document documents and specifically emails So, again, another episode in the major sports world 
where there's accusations, like I said, racism and misogyny in, in a toxic workplace. So we really don't know what else could be added in because they said it was toxic. So that could mean a lot of things. It always gets to me when you see these things happening um, at that particular level. Um, just recently, we went through the John Gruden issue where the emails came about and they were involved with him and Washington Redskins um, owner Dan Snyder, who was also was still under investigation, by the way. I just reported on him a few, a few weeks ago that he's going to be investigated for something else again. So now you have this um, issue with uh, Mr. Sarver. And it's crazy because these are the type of things that are going to come out eventually. Um, and it's in a high-profile employment base. So it's definitely going to get out. And once one person has enough heart or whatever to stand up and say something... Then of course there are going to be other people that follow. Like you said, they saw up to seventy former and current employees. So, if you've got former employees and current employees um, confirming and making these allegations, or at, at making and confirming these allegations, then you know, like they say, it's got to be something to it. And it's just the same shame that these particular people, owners and uh, coaches and executives feel like they're in the position to do whatever they want, say whatever they want to say, and no one is going to say anything or take a stand and and rebuttal to it. Um, exactly what? Well, a lot of the situation with Colin Kaepernick, and like we said, things Colin Kaepernick has been brought up in all of these ongoing situations since his situation, where. The racism, you know, um, has come about. We knew it was there, but it's just now becoming coming to the forefront. Um, it's just a shame. Like I said, it's hard to explain. Um, you know, we saw this a lot in baseball a while back. You could almost say initially with these types of reports and things of that nature. But now it's been, it's like spreading across all sports. Uh and again, federal investigations are like these investigations aren't going to stop. So we're definitely going to hear more about this Phoenix Suns um, situation. Um, and uh, feds are going to investigate continually until they get, you know, what they're looking for. And believe you me, they know what they're looking for. They know what they've been told and they're taking everything with a grain of salt. And they are going to do their due diligence and investigate and find out whatever they can find out, talk to whoever they need to talk to, to get the story straight and, and come to the bottom of this because it, it needs to stop. Um, especially the racism and the sexual misconduct. Women have fought so hard, so, so hard to wedge their way, if you will, for lack of a better word, and get into this media business around sports where it's usually a male-dominated uh, figurehead or a male-dominated sector. And they fought so hard to get in and have been rising. And in their rising, there's been a lot of speed bumps along the way. And what I would like to say is a lot of unnecessary speed bumps along the way. So it needs to be uh, paid attention to and it needs to be reported, and it needs to be looked into, which is being done um, with the investigators uh, involving the Phoenix Suns owner. There's also been a report that LSU running back coach Frank Wilson has been accused of sexual assault. Now, he was at LSU. He was released from LSU, fired, and then he went back to LSU most recently when they hired a new coach. So there's federal court documents that um, the LSU's former athletic director, Sharon Lewis, says that Frank, Lu Frank Wilson 
their newly minted running back coach and a head associate head coach sexually harassed her and another woman. These attempts, these accusations um, are stemming from 2010 to 2015. So that's five years, five years that it happened. And it's just coming out now. Um, the document says that Wilson asked Lewis to touch his genitalia in addition to trying to kiss another female employee without her consent. Hey, Ty, what's going on? Good brother. What's happening? Um, so, again, like I said, these guys feel like they have the power and the gumption to do whatever they want because they're in these positions and like I said they hold these things over these women in this instance um, as far as the sexual harassment it's more so like yeah well if you don't do this then you know I have the power to or I have the connections where you could be going by tomorrow or if not sooner um, in this situation LSU issued a statement and it says and I quote we are unaware of any prior allegations against Frank Wilson and there is no evidence that any such allegations were ever reported to LSU officials. None of these allegations were shared during the highly visible independent Title IX review that LSU initiated last year. However, Sharon Lewis's allegations were added to her ongoing lawsuit against LSU over its former head coach, Les Miles, sexually harassing LSU students working in athletics. This lawsuit was filed in April of 2021. So Lewis accuses the University of gender discrimination, racial prejudice, and failure to adhere to Title IX policies regarding sexual misconduct. End quote. She was Lewis was fired in January of this year during significant reshuffling of the athletic department and Kelly's hire. Lewis and her attorney say the school's decision to fire her was retaliation over the lawsuit filed the previous year and that it was a violation of, again, the Title IX worker and whistleblower protections. So that's where she feels this firing that she got fired came from, stemmed from. And in a lot of ways, like I just mentioned, that there was a, a lot of shuffling going on. LSU came out and said that they didn't have any news of it, didn't know anything about it. And then all of a sudden, there's a shuffling. Again, you know what I like to say. In my opinion, there's a reshuffling after this suit comes out, which means you had something or you knew something at least. I won't say you had something to do with it totally, but at least you knew something. In either indirectly or directly, you knew something because you had a reshuffling. So you changed your organization. You changed your employees based on this lawsuit. And, excuse me, the woman that filed the lawsuit, who was there working, it means that she had some inside knowledge, some right up front knowledge of what was going on, filed this suit. And you say she had no news of it. Then there's a shuffling and then she gets fired. So I get her point where she says that her firing was a retaliation of the um, lawsuit that she has. And I wish her the best uh, in that lawsuit. You know, um, I hope that the truth comes out. Um, I hope that something can be done in this situation. Because, again, like I said, these women are in these positions and they've worked harder than the men have to get into these positions. And a lot of these other men who feel superior to these women want to make these women feel as inferior as possible because it is and has been a male-dominated profession. With that being said, folks, we wrap up today's episode of the Sports Rap Podcast right here on Heat 100 Radio on Facebook Live as well. Sports Web Podcast is the group page. You know where to find me, right there. Also on Instagram and Twitter, at SportsRap underscore D on both. You can check the webpage, SportsRapRadio.com. You can catch the audio on iHeart, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, Spotify, and most of your podcast outlets. 
Check the YouTube channel. Get over there. Sports Rap TV is the channel. There's a lot of videos up there. Make sure you get over there. Hit the thumbs up on the videos that you like. Hit that subscribe button so you should be subscribed to the channel. And also hit that bell so you'll know and be alerted when new video is up. Tonight's schedule, NHL, the Kings and the Bruins, Panthers and the Sabres, Maple Leafs, Blue Jackets, Avalanche, Islanders, Oilers, Flames. Tonight in the NBA, Hawks, Pistons, Rockets, Heat, Blazers, T-Wolves, uh, Jazz, Mavericks, Lakers, Spurs, Warriors, Nuggets, Knicks, Kings, and the Chicago Bulls are in town to face off against our Sixers. Looking for James Harden to return tonight. Sixers to get back on track with a win in preparation for Thursday's game against the Brooklyn Nets, who, again, like I mentioned earlier, have lost 17 of their last 20. Ben Simmons is reported to be in the building, not playing, but sitting on the bench. So, again, we'll see how the temperature is in that room. We'll see what the mood is, and I can already guess what it's going to be thanks for tuning in folks again 77 is the uh projected high for today get out if it's your lunch break get out and enjoy some of this air some of this sunshine some of this warm weather and as we like to say be great on purpose i will see you all week on social media right back here monday on the sports rap podcast where we will begin and recap selection sunday for NCAA tournament, men's and women's, their selection shows are coming up six days away, Sunday, March 13th. I will have all of your recap, who were the number one seeds, what were, what's going on, and how people got in and who didn't get in, and who I think may be a Cinderella story or not. Thanks for tuning in, folks. It's your boy, Sports Rap D. Peace.